You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan. This is the best damn show for the best damn football team. I am your host, the football grump, operating without a script for the first time in a very long time or even any sort of notes or cheat sheet. This is coming raw. And with me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Welcome back to the show. It was an exciting, fun playoff weekend for the NFL, I thought. It sure was. It's always my favorite NFL weekend of the year, um, you know, divisional playoff weekend. I love I love Saturday football. I love Saturday night football. I love this to me is like this is the round of games where everybody really deserves to be there. You know, you got some wonkiness, you know, a team like a Tampa Bay may win their division, but only win eight or nine games. And, you know, they're they're lucky because of geography, maybe to be in the playoffs. But once you get past that first round, you have teams that quite frankly, have earned their way in. And um, you start seeing much better matchups, closer matchups. And I really enjoyed it. Um, I, you know, last night, the the Sunday games were were fantastic. I'm looking forward to talking about each and every one of them and, you know, dream about someday when we're actually playing in a Saturday game in, uh, you know, early January. There was, there was uh, some Giants postseason callbacks this weekend. So yeah, it was, it was definitely um, had a little bit of FOMO watching some of these games. Giants nowhere you know, to be found. It was just 52 weeks ago this weekend. We were all at the watch party with Talking Giants, and 300 people were singing along to the uh, the Burger King commercial. We're all feeling on top of the world. So, it, you know, life comes at you fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, most weeks on this show, I do my best to crack open a cold one and tell you that local breweries are a good way to support small businesses that work very hard, not unlike listening to this show. Um, a while back on this show, I drank a specific brewery beer called Sign the Bill Phil. Um, there was a bill on the table in New Jersey regarding limiting restrictions on local breweries and how many events they can hold and that sort of thing. I am happy to report that that bill has been signed. So oh. cheers to that, local breweries, and uh, remember to tell Giants fans about this show. So a little bit of good news to start our show today. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about the Giants FOMO this weekend. We have a little bit of Giants news since the last episode. We'll get that out of the way before we start talking playoff stuff. Um, the Giants signed a new strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I, I believe he has some fancier title, but that's essentially what he is. His name is Aaron Wellman, and he was here before. He was brought in with Ben McAdoo. Um, I don't know if you remember. They, they, they hired another coach, but we'll get to him in a minute. But, Crank, do you remember when... Ben McAdoo came in from the Tom Coughlin era. Do you remember that like transitionary phase at all? I just remember his bad suit. That's the biggest thing. Mm. Um, <clears throat> at the time, there was definitely a strong feeling among um, Giants fans. At least, um, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know if I'm separating demographics of educated versus uneducated Giants fans here, but there was a general consensus that there was a very old school mentality here at 1925 Giants Way or Drive or whatever it is, um, and the Tom Coughlin era was coming to an end. There was a general feeling of we sit our rookies instead of playing them like the rest of the NFL. These guys aren't developing. We don't go for two anymore. Um, and we started we started to see Tom Coughlin softening on these positions, but not in a way that you could tell he was comfortable with that seemed very much like a job security thing. Right. Um, and I remember there being a very specific thing that Tom Coughlin and his training program, his old school mentality, was sharing the brunt of the blame for the Giants being one of the most injured teams in the league. And I remember when Ben McAdoo came in, he brought Aaron Wellman with him. And there was a whole new sports GPS tracking on the players to not overexert soft tissue injuries. There Mm -hmm. was all of the equipment was changed, if I remember correctly. Like the whole training room was completely updated and stuff was thrown away. There was a big – this was a big switch when Aaron Wellman came here. Yes. Um, And he he was retained under Pat Shermer and then I guess it was Joe Judge – you know, and, and and this is interesting because I guess Joe Judge is another one that kind of came in with the hard hat old school mentality. I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aaron Wellman was out, and we didn't hear much about it. I don't believe it was much of a big story. You know, we had this new coach, and it was interesting because he wasn't a dark horse candidate and shit. Um, right. So I think that one kind of flew under the radar. But now we have Brian Dable, who's a known players coach, and Aaron Wellman is back here after serving the last four years in Indiana. So, which I guess is like the American gulags. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's interesting. I mean, you know, he's known as a player's coach, but the techniques he was using seemed to kind of favor, you know, the players too. Like they didn't want to have like boot camp for training camp, you know, not four day practices and running these guys into the ground. It was a lot of, you know, like you said, GPS tracking and hydration and making sure that they're maximizing uh, you know, the time they're out there being effective as they can and efficient as they can. So um, it's interesting. Is there anything in the bloodlines, like what, who he's connected to, to bring him back? Or is it just he's just the best guy out there right now? Like that usually someone like a strength and conditioning coach usually has a connection somewhere with a coach or the GM or something. Um, you know, I don't I don't think so. That's that is interesting, right? Because we're talking three head coaches and a general manager away from when he was here last time. No, 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 no. Joe Judge got rid of him. That's one head coach away. No, I'm saying who hired him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To be hired? hired yeah, him. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. There's not a ton of information. I mean, actually, I'm sure Indiana University has probably a more in-depth uh, – bio on him but i don't recall anyone ever putting together pieces that connect brian dable and them and does that worry you at all that maybe then that the suggestion is coming from above brian dable and joe shane Mm, not really not me either if he's the best guy he's the best guy and if there's you know owners have the right to make recommendations you Mm. know i don't think i don't think this is something where you know, there's a letter from the CEO's office saying, oh, by the way, I just hired you a new strength and conditioning coach. You know, it's possible that, you know, during regular consultations that the GM and or the head coach might have with ownership that, you know, the name was passed, you know, just 
brainstorming, spitballing, and they're like, oh, let's look into it. And but I don't think uh, no. And now if if uh, Mayor decided, I'm just giving you a new defensive coordinator, that'd be something different. But support like this, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I guess that's what's interesting, right? Because you made my brain go full circle there. So, you know, you're describing, you know, I don't think that the owner's going to have a whole lot of say about a strength and conditioning coach. But then I thought if anyone had any sort of explaining to do, it's probably Joe Judge had to explain to him, had to explain to Mara why this guy that just a couple of years earlier had completely thrown away all of your equipment and brought in new stuff, now you're shipping him out of here. He probably had more to explain to John Mara than Brian Dable bringing him back. But then you bring up the point of the coordinator, and it's almost certain that Jason Garrett was brought here from John Mara's strong influence on Joe Judge. So it is, you know, the conversation goes in a complete circle. I, even if John Mara said, bring back that Aaron Wellman guy, he made me buy all this fucking equipment. I, I don't have a problem with it because I think that it, this is this is an ideological match between Brian look, Dable and Aaron Wellman, right? Look, I work out at, at New York Sports Club not as often as I should, but I have a membership there. And they're swapping out equipment every two years. So, I mean, when was he the coordinator, the special teams guy? When did he get hired? 2017? I guess he was hired when Joe, fired when Joe Judge came in. So what is that, 20, 2020? So I think, he, I think he was 2017 to 2020, right? Yes. Yeah, so or 2018 to 2020? Yeah. If a multi-billion dollar industry is worrying about the cost of equipment or, or just like the fact that the justification – uh, you know that ROI is done, and I think that you know it's time to move on anyway. So I don't think there's any sort of, you know, anything to do with that. But maybe it's just you know, he was real regarded in the building, and Joe Judge. I don't know what his legacy is in this building. They may think that everything he did was stupid, and maybe they like to bring him back. Yeah, it's very 20, possible. Twenty sixteen. I don't want that embarrassing bad fact sit on here. Twenty sixteen. He came <laughs> in with Ben McAdoo that year that they went into the playoffs and lost to Green Bay. Um, so Aaron Wilman comes back. I, I think that this is an ideological match between him and Brian Dable. I think that he is going to also advise to limit certain activities. He might even give Brian Dable some pointers on what he can make them exert in the summer and what he should not. Maybe give him better guidance. And so it's not too much of a pool party and also not boot camp, but more in that sweet spot in between. Look, uh, the league has changed. The league has evolved. It's not just the Giants. It's every team now. It's a gradual buildup, and even a lot of the month of September, it feels like it's included in part of that buildup into the regular season. So, uh, I'm a know. proponent of hitting people, man. I I know that that's an unpopular opinion, but I'm that's a proponent. The game. <laughs> it, it is the job you have, and if you can't do it without getting hurt in practice, then chances are you're going to get hurt in the game too. And I I know that you got to protect certain players, and maybe not everyone has the same set of rules, and maybe that's not fair. But I think generally across the NFL, our lack of practice has turned into a lack of good product and uh, and injuries. I think it's helped no one what we've done. But who am I to say? It's easy for me to say that in this comfortable chair who works out at his leisure and not when he's told, right? <laughs> Speaking of working out, switching over to Joel Nixon, the running backs coach that the Giants hired from the New Orleans Saints on a lateral move, which is interesting. If you were to give me both pictures of both of these guys – I would have no idea which one is the running backs coach and which one's the strength and conditioning coach because both of these guys look like they could show me how to work out. These guys look tough. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. 
maybe we just scare the shit out of teams if they look over the sidelines and see a bunch of you know muscle heads. I don't. Fine. <laughs> I don't really it's, care about running backs coaches though. I mean, I don't. I don't know what they're really going to do that's going to change. I mean, I, I guess like player development, probably maybe in pass blocking and and catching the ball out of the backfield. But I have to think that a position coach like this is so. I don't want to say hampered, but so tied to the offensive coordinator, right? Do you build statues based on marble, not sandstone? If you're if you're given a Saquon Barkley to work with, you are going to look better as the coach just naturally because the product is going to be better due to more talent. So, I mean, maybe it's just a philosophical mix between him and the offensive coordinator and the head coach that – this is the type of offense we want to run. This is the type of technique we want to do. This is the type of blocking we expect. This is the type of, like you said, passes out of the flats or something. And this is, we want to maximize their technique in doing that. But does it really make a big difference in the grand scheme? I personally don't think so. I'll say this much in that um, he's held his position with New Orleans for a very long time now. And he mm-hmm. made a lateral move. So, I mean... This is a guy who maybe doesn't get along with Dennis Allen or maybe just needs a change of scenery. But it's not as if he took a – I mean, I, I, let's be honest. Maybe he got a raise to come to New York. Maybe that was on the table. I don't know. Um, but this is a guy who clearly felt like he wanted to do the same job somewhere else. So, but Can I get, throw something at you, though, that was just interesting to me? Yeah. It's, um We have an offensive coordinator that has interviewed for how many head coaching jobs now? And this year, I think only one. I thought, or was I, it? He's, the... been, he's been tied to several potential. Okay. Is is another? It's also an offensive coordinator who we've you know been reading through page six of the NFL with the you know alleged uh, arguments or disagreements with the head coach. So my point being, we have an offensive coordinator that is a very good chance may not be here next year. So do you find it a little interesting that we are hiring position coaches before we have the coordinator position settled? I mean, whether Cap is coming back or not, or we're going to move on and the, the new offensive coordinator has an opportunity to bring his guys in? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Um, it's a little unorthodox. I mean, the whole situation in which Mike Kafka is taking these interviews is probably unorthodox, unorthodox because – on some level, he's probably getting the interviews based on the work he's done. But mm-hmm. on another level, I think it's assumed that he's taking the interviews to get the hell out of here. Right. Um, or at least that's what we're – we are being fed that, quite literally. That is the spoon-feeding direction that articles are being and, written in that way. And my my take from this is this is an extension of last year. He interviewed last year. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to interview again this year. He clearly is interested in becoming a head coach. Well, hey, 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 hey. There's, just because the Giants were bad this year doesn't mean that he didn't do things. I think that you can make a very strong argument, and Ant Larger made this case when we had him on, that Shea Tierney and Mike Kafka deserve accolades for what they were able to accomplish with Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor at times this year. Um, sure. They, they were like, severely hamstrung and were able to win games against a legitimate playoff team this year. Uh, a couple of legitimate playoff teams. This is they beat Green Bay, they beat Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I mean, not not just not just a fluky one. They won a couple of them. Right. And you know, and, I, and they kept going back to even watch. You know, jumping ahead a little bit to the playoff conversation, talking about Green Bay. It's like 
This is the same Green Bay that we saw on that Monday night game in December. Dude. Not, not, not in September, in December. I, I you know, felt like I said that each quarter of that game, of the mm-hmm. last two games. Yeah. Um, You know, I, so there's two reasons why I don't think this is that weird. Uh, the first reason is that the whole situation is a bit unorthodox, right? So okay. there, there's that. The second reason is that while Brian Dable is big on collaboration and an and amalgamation of ideas and putting things together, um, this is still very much Brian Dable's offense. In the same way that Kansas City isn't worried about Eric Bieniemy leaving the Chiefs, I am not really worried about Mike Kafka leaving the Giants because I know that on some level we're running a variation of the Brian Dable offense. And not for nothing. Um, and, and I'm not steering the conversation to the coaching situations of the past year. But the situation was what it was. You had a quarterback that got hurt. You had a left tackle that got hurt. You had six scoreless quarters to start the year. Mm-hmm. Multiple times throughout the year, Brian Dable had to take play-calling duties away. I'm not going to say if that was a good idea or a bad idea or if he should have taken them and kept them or taken them and given back or whatever. And that's not relevant to my point. My point is, is that when shit hit the fan... Brian Dable felt the need to take control and was able to – using the Arizona game as an example, that was six scoreless quarters turned into something like 31 unanswered points or something like that mm-hmm. in two quarters. I'm not worried if Mike Kafka has to go. You know what I mean? And I have a feeling that these hires, the Carmen Brasillo and the Joel Nixon hire, are more about player development where we didn't see any – Saquon Barkley yeah. has not evolved into a great pass blocker. None of our alignment have evolved into great pass blockers other than Andrew Thomas. So I think that's more about the individual player technique fixes than it is about overall scheme and philosophy and shit. Yeah, I did have to chuckle a bit when you said that uh, Dable is all about collaboration where it seems like every head – every all his coordinators seem to hate him. <laughs> so uh, – but no, but um, – even you know if this offense was fully healthy and fully you know running on all cylinders, this is not a great offense. This is not something where it's like, what are we going to do because coordinator X, who's been here for Y amount of years, is taking the keys to the kingdom with him. I mean, if Mike Kafka goes, you know, I want him here almost as much as I want the continuality and have the third year, you know, for Daniel Jones and just for everybody to you know you don't have to start fresh with training camp and learning new uh, you know, language and, and new you know cadence and new things. But, you know, this is the NFL. Look around the league. Every year there are multiple, multiple coordinators moving on and stuff. That's, that's part of the game. So I'm not too, I'm not too worried about that. Um, another thing I just thought about that I thought was a little unusual about this, bringing in a running back coach at this point, is we honestly don't know what this running back room is going to look like next year. I mean, we you know Saquon Barkley could be tagged, could be long-term assigned to a long-term contract, could be released, or just I mean could could not be re-signed. So again, it's a little interesting that they made this hire now with so many unknowns out there. Uh, you know this. I think a little, little. Uh, it's not going to make me stay up at night worrying like, what is this organization doing? But it's just, it's a little quirky. This, this organization seems to be a little quirky lately. 
But think about it logically. I, I, you're not making a bad point, but really think about it logically. Um, the one good thing that came out of the Wink Martindale, Brian Dable thing is that there was a pretty much after the final whistle on that Sunday, a relatively swift resolution to that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. it, there were a lot of events that happened in a short period of time, but we all had a very clear understanding that Wink Martindale was not going to be the defensive coordinator next year. That mm-hmm. became very apparent. Mike Kafka didn't resign. He's going, maybe he's mm-hmm. unhappy. We're being told that he wants to leave. The, the, straight up, the beat is telling us that he doesn't like his head coach either, but you know he hasn't said anything like that. But we're being told that he hates him and that he wants to get a new job, but he's getting head coaching interviews, so he's going that route. The point is, is do you want to sit around and wait to fill these legitimate vacancies that you have for Mike Kafka to either be here or not just to run Brian Dable's offense anyway? To, to me, it doesn't make any sense to wait for a potential offensive coordinator to be hired or come in or whatever to fill it. You know, meanwhile, who the hell knows what happens around the league and now none of these guys are available to be hired. You have very clear problems with your offensive line. The running back coach position is vacant. Currently, your offensive coordinator position is not vacant. Uh, I would not sit around with my thumb up my ass not hiring people just because of that, especially since Mike Kafka came here as a young thing to learn how to run an offense from Brian Dable, not somebody who came in here with an offensive philosophy that may or may not be here next year, you know? Yeah, but also there's not that sense of real sense of urgency that we need a running back coach in here tomorrow. I mean, we're not doing any organized or unorganized team. Very true. (laughs) For quite a while. I mean, if this was one thing, if like, we got to get a GM in here because, you know, senior bowl is coming up and all of these evaluations and getting ready for the draft. But quite honestly, what is a running backs coach going to do from now until I guess the first uh, rookie OTA? I yeah, guess, the, the uh, mandatory minicamp would be right after the draft. He's not going to do shit. Um, but again, so the more interesting thing here is that that guy has been with New Orleans for a very long time and he made a lateral move. Tells me that they well i mean it tells me that i think they knew that jeff nixon right that was his name mm-hmm. yes was going to syracuse a little bit before the rest of us knew it and that they had maybe identified mm-hmm. you know five five or so guys that they would uh you know um spearfish for but right yeah you, you know and, and he seems like a kind of guy that you would spearfish for so uh somebody that you would He's mm-hmm. been entrenched in this position. He coached Alvin Kamara, uh, um, Mark Ingram as well. Does he, have, does he have a background other than running back coach? Like, what, what's the the height that he's gone? Has he ever been? I like, think that's uh, it for him, man. What's that? I think that's it for him. Okay. So, you know, I I think that they had, for whatever reason, felt that he would develop talent a little bit better. Um, they've had some time to mull that over. And I, I yeah, I, I think that they probably had a short list of headhunting guys that they wanted to hit, and they were able to nail one of them. So why sit around and wait? Doesn't make any sense. But don't, like, but you make a good point. I, I think a lot of it just has to do situationally. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. That's pretty much what's been going on in Giants Land. I I don't want to get caught up in rumors and interviews. Um, Worries me. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it bores me, yeah, and not and not and not all interviews are even um, are are even made public. So, 
if there was a really exciting, you know, if like Ron Rivera interviewed to be the defensive coordinator, I think we would probably talk about that. But it, it's just interesting how some teams love to tweet out immediately. We just completed our interview with X and some just kind of, you know, do their thing behind the scenes. So last thing before we talk playoffs, and, and this may not even be long. Congratulations, Antonio Pierce became head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. That really is impressive. Uh, yeah. I, I made the case that he probably should not be a head coach, and uh, I was just giving my personal opinion. But nevertheless, that's very incredible. Uh, one year as a defensive coordinator in college, left sort of to escape punishment, I, I, I sort of guess. I don't know him personally, but that school definitely. Um, I'm was a linebackers coach in the NFL, then took over interim, and now he's a head coach. That's incredible. I'm I'm, I'm going to um, talk about him in one second, but I want to give a fart to you, and I want to give a fart to Kevin Burkhart because I am absolutely sick and tired of hearing the word incredible and unbelievable on broadcasts. These things are not unbelievable and are not incredible. You don't think it's incredible that a position coach – who has no head coaching experience, no college head coaching experience, only has one year of coordinator experience, earned a head coaching job when Bill Belichick, Pete Carroll, and Nick Saban all became theoretically available? Um, I can believe it because— I didn't say it was unbelievable. I said it was incredible. Incredible. Incredible means hard to believe. It's, it is hard to believe. I, I, can, I can believe it. Because of this organization, because this is the type I always felt like the Raiders are a team that's a reactionary team more than a, you know, let's think this through and everything. I, I always say buyer beware when you have an interim coach who does whatever sport it is, whether it's football or basketball or baseball, where they bring someone in and things are better than they were before. And and it's like, well, he has to become the coach. And you may you made the point just now. This is one of the greatest pools of available coaching talent, maybe in NFL history. If you look at who's out there, who's available, and a guy because your team played better and your players, you know, they like him. Players will be cycled out in the next couple of years because that's not a very good team. I I think it's one of those you're you're caught up in the emotion and the reaction of the moment. Um, it's great for him. I hope he does well. You know, being a, a very important giant during the, the most important giant teams of, of our lifetime, if not team history. But I think it's a real risk. And for the reasons you said, too, to make this guy your, your interim coach. And I think you're missing out on potential opportunities to get really successful established coaches. I'm going to agree with that. Uh, I, I do think that this is a severe risk. But I mean, I think he I think he handled the head coaching position when he was an interim coach the way he should have, which was, I'm inexperienced. I'm going to handle the game management and the prep, and I will let my coordinators coordinate. And, you know, that's probably kind of the model that Harbaugh uses in in Baltimore. Um, It's probably the model that Joe Judge wanted to use here. So I'm not going to say that it's successful or unsuccessful. uh, You remember Larry Bird, right? Played basketball, all-time great. Absolutely. So he was the coach of Indiana for a couple of years, late 90s, early 2000s. Not Gene Hackman. What's that? Not Gene Hackman. That's uh, that he was the coach of Hickory for uh, right, <laughs> right. That wasn't but, act actually the Hoosiers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, this is for the Pacers, Indiana Pacers, and oh, way, oh, oh, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, his coaching style was exactly like that, where he had he had a uh, an, like a, basically an offensive coach and a defensive coach who you know 
ran plays and you know coming out of timeouts you're doing this and you're doing that and he was a, a, a CEO type of head coach and it was pretty revolutionary and they were pretty successful I think they went to a conference finals when he was the coach I mean his his winning percentage was significantly over 500 and that's something that a head coach and I think you know college coaches the same really should start adapting more is that being the CEO you know you, you pay a lot of money to get a lot of talent to be your coordinators let them do their thing and which is kind of ironic because it seems like with the Giants right now we're kind of trending a little bit in the opposite direction especially on offense where we have a head coach who likes to get on the headset who likes to grab that play sheet and likes to start taking over things so well, I, I don't know if that's a fair characterization because we heard none of that last year. And but nobody. He did this year. Yeah. But, I mean. It's only coached two years. I, I understand that, but I, I think that. I didn't want to make this the whole conversation, but honestly, I, I, the giving it back, giving back play calling duties and, 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 and taking them back, you know, that, that back and forth, I, I will agree, is not good. But I think that after six scoreless quarters. An offensive coach being like, I, I need to take control. We cannot let this. We can't go 0-2, and I cannot lose to the shitty Cardinals team. This can't happen. I need to take control. I think that was an objective good thing, and it clearly but, worked. But the other few times he did during the season, you know. Right, and I agree with that. My point is, is that they were dealing with the situation in which your quarterback's hurt, your left tackle's hurt. When, when people weren't—when significant players were not hurt in 2022, he— as far as we know, never felt the need to take away those duties. We, we also don't know. It's never come. was like, was that part of a plan? That, did, did in meetings before this, Dable say to Kafka, hey, you know, in this scenario, if the, we're in the shitter now, I may grab the play sheet and I may call for a series or a quarter or a half. I mean, you, you, game, you plan every scenario for any type of eventuality, for anything that happens. I wonder if they ever had that conversation like, listen, you know how close we work on this. You know how active I am. There may be situations this season where I'm going to, uh, to you know, take the play sheet and I'm going to call the plays. And I wonder if Kafka you know, was on board with that or not on board with that or whatever. So I, just, I, I find it a little hard to believe that just in this, the, the second half of the second game, out of nowhere – you know, he decided, all right, I'm taking over. Fuck you. I don't I don't think it's out of nowhere. I think when you have six scoreless quarters, I think it's not out of nowhere. I think it comes from a place of legitimacy. It's not that long. It's, it's the most important game and a half, though. I mean, like, look, I, I understand that, like, you could play Dallas and San Francisco weeks one and two. But the statistics say when you start 0-2, you're not going to the Super Bowl. Now, I know we're Giants fans and we watched it happen literally twice. But... I understand the situation that he was in six quarters in being like, something's got to happen. Anyway, yeah. the, the Giants coaching situation remains in flux. We'll see if Mike Kafka stays. We'll see if Shea Tierney gets promoted or uh, if an outside hire comes in or, or, or what. So that's – honestly, the DC and OC positions we will definitely cover from head to toe. But these, yes. these positional things – you know, the offensive line coach was probably the only positional coach that we were going to talk very in-depth about, and we did. Um, let's fast forward to Saturday. Okay. Houston and Baltimore. Tell me a little bit about this game. What did you think? 
I mean, I think this went exactly as I thought it was going to go. I mean, you know, it's a great story for Houston to get where they are. I mean, t- 12 months ago, we we're not we we're not talking about Houston being in the second round of the playoffs. That's for sure. Um, but I think the question for me is. Is Baltimore. Is Baltimore a serious threat? Because I'm kind of assuming it's going to be a Baltimore San Francisco Super Bowl. And I I've watched a lot of 49er games this year and I'm just. Trying to think, is, is Baltimore a serious threat to, to San Francisco? I mean, are, are they for real? Are they, you know, you take them Baltimore and you have them on a neutral site, you know, all these different things because they look tough. And I know they went to San Francisco and they rolled them in that in that Monday night game or Sunday night game or whatever. But I see, uh, I just see a well-humming organization right now and team and a quarterback who's playing fantastic and I'm, I'm just looking ahead more with Baltimore than actually what actually happened on Saturday. Cause I mean, I, I bet on Baltimore. I knew they were going to roll pretty good. And what do you, what, what did you think? Um, yes. To your question. Yes. They're a legitimate threat. Yes. I'm scared of them. Yes. They look very good. Yes. This game went the way I thought it would. Um, I do think that, I, I, I so something is, about them that I'm not a hundred percent in. And I don't I, know what quite it is yet. I I don't want to say this because I don't want to put it on him, but there's something about Lamar Jackson the way he runs. I I'm worried about his health, and just like when I see look, Josh Allen gets into a lot of piles. But I always feel like Josh Allen is going to stand up and take the next snap just based on his build, just based on the style of runner that he is. It's He's just that guy. He's going he's, to run into and through people willingly. Lamar like Jackson... Type. Like I never felt like he was ever going to get hurt. Yes, but yeah, correct. That's In that way, yes. Lamar Jackson's fast and shifty. I worry about him trying to avoid a tackle and getting tackled at an odd way around the knees, around the hips, in a way that's going to hurt his knee, ankle, something that will limit his ability. Um, And to me, that's the biggest question. It's just if Lamar Jackson gets hit just the right way, this team is so screwed. Um, And I I mean that goes with every team, right? But Mm -hmm. there's just something about watching him run where I just feel like and I don't think he's going to get decked. I think it's going to be one of those just, you know, tackled around the waist and then, you know, the roll technique to make sure that they go down and just bodies going around ankles and feet and knees. I just – it makes me nervous if I were a Ravens fan. I, I don't personally care, so I just sit back and enjoy things. Um, but other than that, they look very legit to me. They have a lot of speed all over the place. They are very well-disciplined offensive line. Lamar Jackson as a quarterback, as a thrower, a passer, he has evolved into being confident enough to lace things into a tight window, which in the past, it's not so much that he couldn't do it, but more that he wouldn't do it. Now he's doing it. Now he feels comfortable to make those throws and he's making them. That's scary shit, man. He really looks like, you know, I know we debate, you know, I'm more down on Dak Prescott than most other people. Lamar Jackson to me might, might be the best quarterback right now? I think you can make that argue. It's like between him and Pat Mahomes. 
Pat Mahomes is, I mean, I, another team, we'll talk about that game in a minute, but that was another game I was, I was, I bet on Kansas City. I'm like, they're not losing this game. And to, you have to show me that you're going to beat Kansas City in a spot like that for me to believe it. And uh, I wrote it and I was right. Um, I think I would put Mahomes right now, number one, and I would put um, Lamar Jackson, number two, on my list. It's definitely debatable. Um, and, and, to... and you're not wrong if you go the opposite either. No, I don't. Th- I think you can make a case either way. And yeah. and to not talk too much about Baltimore in this, I thought that Houston put up actually a really good fight, a better fight than I expected in this game. Remember, this is a team that didn't have their better receiver. Oh, I don't know about better, but their more flashy receiver in Tank Dell. And right. C.J. Stroud looked pretty pretty decent in this game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, this was a more interesting game than I gave it credit for. I think I I, I give I give Houston credit for when you're playing a game with 100% house money oh yeah sometimes you feel sometimes like the moment gets too big for you and it's like well we're playing with house money they competed and they played and um you know they they have a bright bright future down there and then the saturday night game green bay san francisco this one uh, another interesting one where it's like you know, if you asked me, I'd probably with my eyes shut and while rolling over and putting the blanket over my shoulder, I would have told you San Francisco's going to win this game. Jordan Love really did look good in this game. I've been a naysayer on Jordan Love for too long now. He looked very good in this game in which they lost very handily. You know, something I think people and I, I know it's a natural thing to do, but stop comparing him to Aaron Rodgers. The only thing he has in, in, in you know. He replaced Aaron Rodgers. But to say everything he does is to be a comparison to something Aaron Rodgers did or your expectation level that's just going to go far Rodgers love is unfair and you're you're missing out on what's happening right now. I think for a guy that – how long did he sit? Three years? Was he waiting for his opportunity? I, I think And this so, is yeah. really his first year of playing. You could see the progression from the beginning of the year to now and you know, this league has got a quarterback problem. There are only so many good quarterbacks in this league, and there's even less that are healthy playing at any given spot. He is definitely in that, you know, this side of the ledger of being a quarterback you can build around and be around for a while. So, And I think that, that that's where my naysaying comes from is I think all of us as football observers – um, in whatever capacity we are, are very used to what we saw of the quarterback standard from the years of 2001 through you know, 2018-19. And that standard has had a drop-off. And uh, the new quarterbacks coming in are simply not Brady's, Rodgers, uh, you know, not yet. Rivers. You know, they're just not right now. And so we keep expecting, you know, the good quarterbacks to act like that. That's not what it is. I mean, if you move the curve now, Jordan Love is very much a good quarterback right now. And that was that was kind of my problem as I was expecting, you know, I'm using a different standard than what's around the league right now. There's two problems right now with, with these young quarterbacks, and neither of them are their fault. One the more in college is get moving more and more away from what the NFL plays for a style of offense. And two, these guys are throwing in. If you're a, you know, you're a top five uh, draft pick or top 10 draft pick, you're playing uh, again, the years of like, you know, Vinny Testaverde sitting for a year and not playing would be the number one draft pick. Those years, that time is way over. And these quarterbacks, you need reps, you need to play. 
You're going to be you're not going to be polished in the beginning. Yeah, I know CJ's job, but that's an exception. That's not the rule that is, you know, that's what makes him so special is that he was able to play like a five-year veteran on, you know, day one. But you're going to struggle with a rookie quarterback. You are you are not going to give them the entire playbook on day one and say, go to it, kid. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is, you know, he is, this is his third year, fourth year. He's had everything against him so far, almost as bad as Daniel Jones has had to in his development. He's had a terrible coach to start, you know, all, all, you know, a bad team around him has had to build. Um, you just have to give these guys some time. So, yeah, these these young quarterbacks and rookies, they're, you know, they're not they're not Brady and they're not Manning and they're not all these guys. But let's check and see in four or five years, you know, if that standard is there, because there's definitely a problem in this league between quarterbacks. I think you're either too young, too old or broken. Yeah. Um, is Urban Meyer the worst NFL head coach of all time? <laughs> could be i mean for coaches that had one year or really bad i mean lou holtz i don't even think it made it one year with the jets in the 70s uh rich kotite i think made two years with the jets um but it's also just the way in which urban came and went he was not good when he was here he had scandal after scandal and then he was gone like he, i mean he, that's really terrible and, and he came in as an incredible asshole to start yeah like with the bravado of a guy that he thought he was he had already terrible. won the super bowl yeah i mean he very well could be and they're lucky they had you know uh a trevor lawrence they had a number one pick coming that they could kind of Quite frankly, quite frankly, I think they're a little lucky that the Eagles maybe pulled the trigger too fast on firing Doug Peterson. Sure, sure. And it seems like the Eagles might have learned their lesson from that too. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, this Packers-Niners game, it went the way I wanted, I think. I really didn't want the Packers to win this. Um, but biggest takeaway has to be the Debo injury, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't even know if we know have a diagnosis yet, but the fact that he was full pads off by halftime, that's not good news. I think also, you know, we had this discussion offline. I think it was either on the weekend or towards the end of the weekend about um, if you're the 49ers, would you consider drafting J.J. McCarthy? And I was like, well, you got a quarterback now who will be in consideration for MVP and is a perfect fit for this team, but – does it worry you when your quarterback is awful in the rain? <laughs> so, I, I I'm the one who asked you this question, and it was yeah. it was a hypothetical. I'm not whatever, yeah. but my, my question came from a place of listening to a bunch of people say how much they oh geez how much they hate JJ McCarthy and how much he's part of a system and how it's only going to work in the perfect system and blah blah blah. And I'm sitting here watching this game where there is a perfect system in place. And a quarterback that still technically has question marks about him. So I threw the question to you. If everybody hates J.J. McCarthy so goddamn much that he's going to fall in the second round, which I can't honestly believe, if you're San Francisco picking even as far back as 32nd, would you take J.J. McCarthy instead of paying Brock Purdy in two years? That was kind of the question I was heading towards was Brock Purdy maybe – because of the bravado, because of the story, because of whatever, maybe entitled to a payday that is more than he's actually worth that might actually set back your franchise, potentially, just throwing this idea out there into the world. 
Whereas you could have a J.J. McCarthy come in. He could even sit for a year and he could enter into this quote-unquote perfect system where he can be the best that he can be on that rookie scale, which is why I asked the question. Yeah, I kind of feel like the, the 49ers window is right now. And with the window being right now, I want this draft pick, you know, first round pick, second round pick. I want guys who can kind of contribute right now and to help with this team. Um, you know, this window may be another you know, couple of years, but that's a little 4D chess. I think it's it's good if you are, you know, the end of the window and you're ready to, like, for that handoff to happen. I think they're still kind of like in the middle of it right now. I, so I don't think I would do that. And I get... I was just throwing it out there. I wasn't making the argument for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see the point for it, and I could see, you know, the value for a trade asset or just, you know, again, you know, Green Bay, when they drafted Jordan Love, they were a... I think they were in the conference championship game. I mean, they were that type of team, and they were their window was open, too, and they just... They stashed them for a few years, and it's like, you know, that's the way it is. Um, You know... I, I felt like the same way kind of what, what the Bucks did a couple of years ago when they drafted Kyle Trask. You know, they they had uh, Tom Brady. That was their window, and they just kind of stashed him. So I, I don't know. I I feel like if you really want a quarterback and you want to get him, you can make moves to get your quarterback. And for waiting that long to hold him, I, I think there's better uses of the draft pick. It's only one year, just so you know. Oh, before the decision to... to uh, yeah, Brock Purdy is only under contract for next year. So then I would say... I, see, it's an incomplete then. I mean, okay. we, let's see what he does. You know, there's still... You know, he had one playoff game already. He has another one next week. He might have a Super Bowl. There could be next year as well. I think it's incomplete with him. I'm going to confirm that. Hang on. Yes, next year is his... 2025 is his last year under contract. Uh, yeah, and, and I would agree. But to, to bring it back to your question, Brock Purdy did not look excellent in this game. It was pouring rain. He flirted the idea with the glove, then he took the glove off. At no point did he really look great. Does it worry you that he seemed to struggle in the rain? Or are you just like, I don't ever remember seeing him throw in the rain before, so this is the one time, and uh, we'll just roll with it? No, there was another game he played that wasn't that great in the rain either, but I think a sample size of one or two games isn't enough to say that's an issue um i think glove not glove that to me is psychological more than anything else i mean if you're thinking about it that much you know that also could be he's still a young quarterback this is his second year um again i think it's still an incomplete i mean if if we see a trend where you know if it's crappy this uh sunday in, in in santa clara you know, or next year they play they play a game an away game wherever and it's rainy and he he looks awful. I mean that's something to really think about when you're thinking of the whole package. But I think one game I can't make major decisions based off of one game. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with that. Uh, it, also, it there's not that many rain games per year. Like I I hate to like make make a decision based on percentages like that, but like. How many games are you going to lose? First of all, no Super Bowl is going to be played in the rain. It's just not going to happen. Um, you know, it just – how often is it going to matter? I mean, of course it could, but are you going to make a huge multi-million dollar decision based on a potential rain? It just seems silly. Uh, I was really just throwing the idea out there in the 
financial uh, line of undervalued asset. Well, yeah, just just the line of thinking of trying to win. If you have a great team, the way that they have them, where the money is spent making the entire team very good, you can go cheap on the quarterback and just staying cheap on the quarterback. I was thinking kind of maybe that way while they're set up the way they're set up, but it doesn't really matter. Regardless, that San Francisco game, it was cool that Green Bay was hanging around, but I got to be honest, I was kind of sort of not paying attention by the second half of that game. Well, my big thing from that game, and it's kind of the theme for the whole weekend, was I thought this was a very poorly coached weekend. I saw so many different coaching decisions, you know, time management uh, that was just shaking my head. I thought, I thought the 49ers did an absolutely terrible job around, you know, the last possession of the half, first possession of the second half, where I felt like they were too worried about, well, what would happen if we don't score and they get the ball back as opposed to let's just, let's just beat these fuckers right now. I mean, I, there was too much of that worrying. Well, you know, give them too much time on the clock left and they blew the advantage that they had. I mean, you know, we've, as long as you've known me, you know, I'm a, I want the ball first guy. I don't like deferring ever. I want to score first. I don't worry about, you know, what happens like, you know, second half or everything, but then you have the opportunity to get the ball back in the second half and you have an offense like you do, and you're at home, you know, put the hammer down, try to score. Don't worry about, they get the ball back. Um, and then, you know, score again, end the game right there. Well, if I remember right, Green Bay won the toss and they wanted the ball. So they, they played right into Shanahan's thing anyway. Right. And I think, but, but I totally agree with you. They, they were, passive at the end of the half rather yes, and, and I'm, oh, you also know me like I, i'm not a take your foot off the gas guy like mm-hmm. me you spent all week game planning being you play you don't change what you're doing based on the situation if you're winning put your foot on their throat keep going you had two weeks to prepare for this game. Exactly, and I think I think that that's where it comes in, right? I think that they probably spent a whole week doing their normal thing, and then that second week was like, oh, it's the Packers. Let's spend a whole week on the Packers and what they do. And it's just more thinking about your opponent than thinking about what you do right. And, and also, it's not like on the other side we have Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or name your elite quarterback. It's still Jordan Love. Nice story, Jordan Love, but – We've never seen Jordan Love in a big spot in a playoff game in a two-minute drill executing anything before. I, I just thought I, I just thought it was some really really head-scratching coaching decision where, you know, in games like this, when 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 you're getting to the playoffs and these further rounds in the playoffs, the quality of the teams is getting closer and closer, and coaching matters more and more. And you you got to be on your game as a coach as much as the players do as as playing. Jumping ahead to Sunday, uh, right afternoon, Detroit with their big victory. Congratulations, Detroit. Their second playoff victory. That is now more than the Dallas Cowboys since the turn of the century. (laughs) Um, Did this game go the way you thought it would go? Uh, Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. Um, Again, some more interesting coaching and bad coaching. I want to talk to you about the decision – when Tampa Bay was down 15 of oh, down 14 went for two when they scored the first touchdown. What do you think of that? Cause I have opinions on it. Is that the one I texted you on? I believe it was. Yeah. 
I you know it worked in their favor because they they converted it right. They did not. Oh, then that's not the one I texted you on. Maybe that was yeah. a different game, but um, yeah, I I um, I don't know. I I think that no, the one the one I texted you, you were like it was a momentum thing. Yeah, that, I don't remember exactly what that was. That might that was the Green Bay one, right? Uh, right where they right. went for two, and I was just like, I don't get this. I don't like uh, situationally, and with the Tampa one, they're I don't down, know. They're down fourteen. They score. They're on the road, and you know my thing always is if you are, if you are the less talented team, you're on the road. You want to shorten the game as much as you can, and the last thing you want to do is you don't want to go to overtime. You want to win the game in the, in, in the 60 minutes. And to me, going for two there means you have two shots to make that going for two. Because if you don't get it the first time, you, you, have, you have like a second chance to do the same play. And, okay, you get the two, you get the second touchdown, and then you go to overtime and you do I it. I see what you're saying. If you just kick the extra point and it's seven, and you have that same decision where I don't want to go to overtime and you just score again, and you botch that two-point conversion, game over. You lose. So I I know a lot of my a lot of my friends are, are Buccaneer fan, uh, fans. I'm on three different text chains during the game, and they were all super pissed about going for it. And I was like, guys, that's the smart move. That in that situation is 100% the smart move. And I I think that was I think that was great coaching. And I know it's not popular. I know people have to stop with the you know I'm sick and tired of analytics because you sound like old man yelling at the cloud for it. I mean. Remember, this is all this does. You know, when we talk about analytics, it just maximizes your potential for winning. It doesn't guarantee anything. It gives you the best odds to win. You know, you you don't hit on seventeen in blackjack because it doesn't give you the best odds to win. You play by the book in that, so it's the same thing. I I, I agree with going for it there, uh, theoretically first if you have to score twice. Um, I just felt like I. I guess I don't have a strong feeling because it just never felt like Tampa Bay was even in the game. Uh, this was the one game where it was just like, I don't know. I just felt like Detroit was just winning. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, nothing. But I, I, nothing. Yeah, yes. In that scenario, going for it first makes sense because you will get the second shot later, theoretically. If you're going to compete in this game, you'll get a second shot at it. I mean, if your philosophy is, I don't want to go to overtime, you absolutely have to do it the first time. If you're like, well, let's just get to overtime and see what happens in overtime, you know, with these stupid rules in the NFL with overtime, no thanks. <laughs> and we're, we're going to talk about that because I, I, I don't want to gloss over Detroit winning because I, I think it's really great for the city. I, personally, I am rooting for Detroit the rest of the way. I would like it if they win. I don't actually care, but I've made my decision now. It's now public. Y'all know. I'm, I'm rooting for Detroit the rest of the way. Um, I don't want to gloss over that, but huge influence on that second Sunday game. I really, truly, honestly think, and there's a lot we're going to probably talk about with the Buffalo-Kansas City game, I honestly think that in that very end, Buffalo got within field goal range and immediately went conservative or, or just wacky 
with their play calling. They went for a run. They hadn't been able to run the entire second half. They, I don't know if they had a single positive yard running with a running back in the second half. That was garbage. Then they took an end zone shot on second and nine and a half in which Josh Allen flat out missed a receiver. It felt like, after, and then after that, it felt like they were just playing for a field. Well, well we can just tie this. It, it felt so conservative. I don't know what the hell happened once they got within 30 yards of the end zone. But right at the end there, it really didn't feel like at any point Kansas City won the game. It felt like Buffalo just decided to lose the game. (laughs) I know that's not reality, but that's the feeling I came away with. It's like, well, Buffalo decided they didn't want to win. (laughs) I definitely felt the momentum shift in the second half that Kansas City, you know, was – they're getting chunks of yards every play. Um, I I thought they were the better team over 60 minutes. I, I really did. I, I again, Over 60 I, minutes, yes. I, I would say overall probably as well. But they were also <sighs> – Buffalo was pretty consistent with what they were doing, I felt like. Kansas City felt like um, – I don't know. I guess maybe because most of everything happened in the second half, it mm-hmm. sort of felt like at any moment – and you and I say this to each other all the time. It just sort of felt like a turnover was happening soon. And it sort of did with that fumble into the end zone thing. Ugh, that, that's a stupid play call too. I mean that that was the game. Just right. If they score right there, game's over. I right. Felt. And then just like you know, you, you give it to a running back who, who hardly plays and it was just like a dangerous play and uh, you just – and see, I was just waiting for the Josh Allen. I, I think I said it five or six times to Cranky Wife. I was like, here comes that Allen pick. It's coming right now. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. It just never happened. But I really felt like, here it comes. And then, you know, <laughs> Buffalo being Buffalo, and they Norwood at the, uh, the final kick was just kind of, you know. Yeah, I, I honestly think that I, I don't know if the new stadium has any naming rights yet. I know that that's, you know, the, the way the league goes – uh, there tends to be, you know, an innocuous name for like a year, and there's like a bidding thing. Like, you know, right. uh, AT&T Stadium was Dallas Cowboys Stadium for about a, a year before it became AT&T well, we had, Stadium. We Just had call New it. Meadowlands Stadium. Yeah. We, we had New Meadowlands Stadium, New Giants Stadium. I think it was called at one point. Maybe, yeah. maybe there's a working title. I I vote that the new Bill Stadium just be called Wide Right. That's <laughs> or just Bill. I have the uh, goalpost just like this. So yeah. It over. I look. I felt bad for you guys. Detroit is the team I feel bad for. I don't feel – at this point, Buffalo, they're choke artists. I'm sorry. You are not – I don't feel bad for you anymore. Here's where I do feel bad though. Yes, I do think that Kansas City was the better team over 60 minutes. Of the remaining teams, the remaining eight teams or whatever, Buffalo was by far the most injured team. With Matt Milano and Trey White alone, and then and Gabe Davis alone, those three guys, they were already the most hurt team in the playoffs. So the fact that they, I feel bad in that regard, is that everybody else seems to be pretty healthy right now, and, and, and they, they really had, weren't. You know, the easiest first round they played a, a Pittsburgh team that really had no business being in the playoffs, also. So they had they had a, they had a pretty easy job to, even to get to this point. Philly got Tampa. That's all I'm going to yeah. say. Philly got Tampa. That is the that was the worst team in all of the playoffs. Yeah, but at least Tampa had their first string quarterback. Yeah, I, so I think a, I, you know in in a, a one game I'm playing this one game. Houston got you know, Cleveland. Yeah, but in, in, also Philly had to go to Tampa. 
Yeah. So, I mean... Houston got to play Joe Flacco, though. But here's my thing about this, and that's the narrative. Oh, we feel so bad for Buffalo. Look. I don't... I don't feel... I am officially no longer a member of the Feeling Bad for Buffalo fan club. Go on. Sorry. I have four... In the four major sports, basketball and baseball, I have never won a championship in my lifetime. I am 51 years old. So... When I win all four of my teams win championships, I'll start feeling bad for other people because I know one thing. Nobody feels bad for me as a Nick fan. No one gives a shit that I'm a Rays fan. But as a Nick fan, you know, there is nobody else in this country. You know, there's no Laker fans. There's no Milwaukee Bucks fans. No one's like boohoo cranky fan. You know, I, I'm really rooting for you to win a championship. So that's just my personal thing, whereas I don't feel bad for anybody until I feel good about myself. So that's just me being selfish. I, I will tell you who I do feel bad for, and this is coming from a place of 100% sincere honesty. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for the poor son of a bitch who is in the crowd, quite literally in the moment, watches team lose against probably their most hated rival now that Bill Belichick's not in New England. Kind of having a moment in the stands, sort of maybe crying and grabbing his hat and pulling it down over his face. That dude is all over the fucking internet today. I feel bad for you, sir. Gentlemen, I hope you got a raise today or something. Or, you know, maybe you found out that, um, you know, you inherited a whole bunch of money. I hope something good happens for you. you know, I really in, do uh, feel bad. Way back when, I, I caught a home run ball on the top of the Green Monster. And I was one of those, like, for... 15 minutes had my little moment of fame in the Tampa Bay area. No one up, up here gives a shit. But all I kept thinking about was like every time I saw my picture in the paper on the news was like, God, I could have been Steve Bartman also and, you know, be that face forever. You know, and that's how. What a you, reference. I am so tired. I, I don't like how broadcast is now 40 percent crowd shots and reaction shots. And I thought about this. If you watch an old game from the 80s or the 70s, you notice people have signs that say, like, remember you used to do, like, CBS, like, like, see you, Super... Can't believe Super Bowl or something like that, yeah. So people used to have signs so they could be spotted on TV. So there's a reason for the camera to actually show somebody. Now, they show the fans and individuals so much on a broadcast of these sports. It's It's... You completely lose the flow of the game. It's like, no shit. The fan is watching like this, like this, like this, or like this. I don't need those constant shots. And when they catch the one of the guy who's upset or the kid who's crying, and you know, in this, you know, in, in social media culture, they become a meme instant like that. I think it's incredibly unfair for those people i do feel it's it's mean honestly i feel bad i i'm i'm not making a joke out of this i'm not going to put his picture on the screen i honestly feel bad for this dude on national tv i i i feel worse for him than i feel for tyler bass at least tyler bass got fucking paid (laughs) that's his job yeah exactly he's in a competition and he just didn't execute Hmm. you're right and you have no idea you have because you don't you don't see the camera. It's not like this. It's not like when you're like during a timeout of a basketball game, the camera guy comes up to you and he's like, "Okay, on the count of three, make a lot of noise." It's like a camera that's across from the stadium happens to spot you. You have no idea, and the only way you know, and I know this in personal experience, your phone blows up. Hey, just saw you. Just saw you. 
you know, ex-girlfriends, cousins you didn't even know you had, just random people you worked with 10 years ago. So, and you have no idea you did that. You have no idea what you look like. It was a good, is it bad? You don't know. So I agree. I, I feel terrible for all these people that are on there. If you're making the Cobra face or you're, you know, your head's in shame or you're just, you know, you're George Costanza eating the ice cream at the U S open. It, it's, it's, and it, nobody cares. Like just play, show the game. That's that's the drama. The drama's on the field. That's what we're here to watch. Do you have anything else on the Buffalo game? Was there anything else you wanted to? I I feel like we. I, I feel bad talking about that guy, but uh, you know, we spent a <laughs> bit of time talking about him. That game uh, felt like choke. Do you feel strongly about Kansas City going up against Baltimore? Yeah, I mean, I've. I. I'm a person who's like, until you're, you can't be the king until you beat the king. And Pat Mahomes is the king right now. He's, and, uh, you know, his postseason record's phenomenal. It's amazing. It's not unbelievable because I can believe somebody can win games. But I really think they're going to go in. I'm just not sold 100% on Baltimore yet either. I, I, I am thinking about where I'm going to put my nickels this weekend. And I'm really considering taking Kansas City and getting the points. I just feel like Mahomes has that something special where it's it's impossible to sack him. He makes smart decisions. He makes plays where plays don't seem possible. I, I think, you know, he's got a supporting cast that has been maligned but is doing the job. Like, I didn't feel that's like, oh, they need receivers. I mean, I, I just feel like they, they get the job done. I think you you can squeeze enough out of the Kelsey lemon that you can to get enough lemonade out of him. Um, and I think they have a really a really good coach. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of good coaches this weekend, but um, I, I think Kansas City is going to go ahead and, and, and I think they're going to beat Baltimore. I agree. I, uh, well, I agree with everything you said, but I'm going to pick the other way. Uh, I, I, I agree with, um, you know, you got to beat the man to be the man kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that logic makes sense. Right now I'm looking at a team, one team that is more consistently good this year than the other. Uh, but I do think that this will be cl- – I don't think that this is going to be a blowout. Um, what about the other side? What about the NFC? We've got San Francisco 49ers taking on um, – uh, I think – What the – whoa, Detroit. whoa. Detroit. Detroit, yeah. The I team I'm rooting for. I, I, I think San Francisco is blowing them out. I unfortunately think so too. Look, I for the city of Detroit and, and for Dan Campbell, I, I like Dan Campbell. I like Amon Ross St. Brown. I like Jameer Gibbs. I like a lot of things about that Detroit team. I Jared Goff is not very athletic, and when he has to move off of his spot, he looks very unathletic. I know he is an athlete, and he could probably beat me in a race. He could probably put me in a headlock, and I would <laughs> scream. He could probably give me noogies. But that man uh, among the other 31 starting NFL quarterbacks looks very, very, very unathletic. And if there is one team that is going to put pressure on him, you can Bet it's San Francisco. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I don't think it's even going to be close. I think that's going to be the one. I think that uh, I think that Baltimore Kansas City game is going to be a classic. I think this one's going to be a snooze. Yeah, I think so. That's all I have for this episode. I don't know about you. That's all I got. Um, next week we're going to have to go Sunday night, so the episode will be there for you Monday morning. Um, okay. 
I will be traveling Monday night next week because I will be headed to Alabama. I am headed yeah. down to the Senior Bowl to hang out with Bobby and Justin of the Talking Giants podcast <laughs> where we will be doing daily, uh, I guess, I, I think yeah. daily episodes on the Talking Giants channel on the Senior Bowl recap practices and stuff like that. So our episode will be a little bit earlier Monday morning for you guys, fresh in your minds as we <laughs> review the playoffs. We try to get a crossover episode on our feed with those guys too while you guys are out there. Well, I mean, we've done it the last two times I've been down there. I'm yeah. going to have my laptop with me. Sure I don't... I'm going to have a lot of questions about what's going on and everything. So, Lots of quarterback talk, I'm sure, is going to come through. There's yes. a couple major quarterbacks that are going to be down there. I'm curious. I mean, I'm not even talking about it from a giant perspective because I don't want to get into that right now. But just I'm just curious about the quarterbacks, period, that are down there. And I'm excited to hear what you guys think and everything. I have a video coming out on the Football Grump channel this week. I am not sure if it's going to be tomorrow or Wednesday. It's mostly done. I just have to do some editing, uh, which is time-consuming. But it is on the six top quarterbacks, so you can watch that before I go down to the Senior Bowl where I'll see, I believe, two of them, right? It's Penix and Knicks are down there. Is Jordan Travis in your top six? He is not. The top I'm sorry, I, I, I can be explicit here. I the tops the top six that I picked was not my top six, it was just the top six that was on like every website I could find was Caleb Williams, Drake May, Michael Penix, Bo Nix, JJ McCarthy, and Jaden Daniels. Those are the six that I did. That's a solid there may it may not be top heavy like this first guy is a can't miss surefire Hall of Famer, but that is a six deep that could be one of those we look back in 15 years like that's one of the great quarterback draft classes it's a who's who and they're not the only ones that can do stuff i mean even uh the wazoo quarterback cam ward was somebody that i had penciled in he decided to stay in school this year so uh useless but but another one that could have easily been a part of that group jordan travis could have been part of that group shudder sanders could have been part of that group there's a number of quarterbacks worth doing work on this year is sanders isn't he coming back uh, I don't know if I I didn't look it up. Oh, okay. Uh, so if he was, then whatever. But he could he had eligibility. He could have come out this year. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode. So we will see you all Monday morning on, of course, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. Until then, we will see you next time. Go Giants. Go Giants.